0: Welcome to the Vision Church Podcast. We're so thankful that you're taking some time today to listen. We pray that this week's message challenges you to press in deeper with your pursuit of Christ. Our mission at Vision Church is to go and make disciples. You can help us in this mission by rating this podcast and sharing it with the world via social media. We want to reach the lost by raising up the found. Thank you again for tuning in today and enjoy the message. It is awesome to be
1: here with you. I mean that sincerely. It's an over, overused word. We probably shouldn't use it to describe donuts. But it's, you know, it's, people say everything's awesome. It is awesome to be in this place. I found my, my jaw just kind of dropping every once in a while as I just felt the passion of people in this place. And the uh, I'm looking out there and I realize I think I'm the oldest guy in the room right now. Is there anyone here over 85? <laughs> I mean, it's just, uh, man, I'm looking around, you are an intimidating bunch of people, but uh, so so thrilled to be with you and, and share the word of God today, and yes, indeed, um, pastor, you, you are crazy, and you're crazy like David was crazy, and Elijah was crazy, and anybody who ever did anything significant for God was willing to get outside of the box and do impossible things. Because you see, the water doesn't part until the high priest's foot touches the water. And you just, you just, have, to, you just have to take that step. And, and my goodness, I'm tr- trying to, how can I be in two places on Easter Sunday? Because I would like to be at ovens. You see, what better on Resurrection Sunday than to be there and watch people literally rise from the dead? Wouldn't that? ah, Okay, well, seven of us are really excited about this. (laughs) The rest of us will get challenged along the way. Lord, just bless your word to our hearts. Prepare us for works of service this week. Help us, Lord, to find a perspective that glorifies you. Clean up our minds, our thinking, O Lord. Heal the wounded places in our hearts. Bring us to that point where today, as we walk before you, we walk in solid, unshakable faith. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, I know you have an imagination because you're following a guy and walking with a, a pastor who has a, a great, we call it vision, but vision requires imagination. You have to be willing to think outside the box and do what everybody else thinks is impossible. So I know you have An imagination. And I want you to imagine, if you would just imagine with me this morning, that you commission a painting to hang in the living room of your life. A work of art to stand as the centerpiece of your soul. It's a painting that must define you at your very best. It must be captivating, compelling, beautiful, meaningful, authentic, the best you possible. The artist is going to come and paint the best you that he can. Your chosen artist is a little bit eccentric, eccentric all artists are, and he only allows his art to hang in the place where he creates it, and he likes to paint at night, in the dark. So, sunset arrives and the doorbell rings and you greet the artist. He steps into your, into your foyer and then into the living room of your life. He takes one good look at you, that's all he needs. And then he asks to be left alone. You settle into the next room with a book and ready for a long evening. But suddenly, the lightning flashes and the, the thunder crashes and the lights go out and the house falls silent. And you think, surely... He has to stop. But the artist insists that all is well, and he paints on in the complete absence of light. Every once in a while, you peek into the room, but you can barely see his form. As, as a matter of fact, if you didn't know he was there, you wouldn't really know what to look for. He seems absent, but you hear him a little bit, and you see him maybe a little bit. You get a little bit tired, you close your eyes, and before you know it, you're asleep. You awaken the next morning to brilliant sunlight streaming through the windows and it hits you, the artist, and you rush into the living room and he's gone. But hanging over the mantelpiece in the living room of your soul is a finished canvas and it's beautiful. It's all you could ever be. It's your whole life in brilliance, captured in every stroke, and your your eyes drink in the texture and the color and the wonder and the miracle of it all, it's perfect. And when your friends see what has come to define the living room of your soul, you'll tell them about the God who paints in the dark. I've come to tell you today that God paints in the dark. David wrote Psalm 139, 7 through 12. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there, and if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. And if I I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me be night. (laughs) Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. God is working in the dark when you cannot see him, when you cannot hear him, when you cannot feel him. He was and he is working. He was working long before you were even born. Before I knew you in Jeremiah, before you were formed in your mother's womb, God says about Jeremiah, I knew you. I knew you. David says that you were knit together. Talk about darkness. You were knit together in the darkness of your mother's womb. God was working even in the darkness. He works in the dark. He works in the dark. Years ago, I stumbled upon Malcolm Gladwell's great book, The Tipping Point. It was the first one that really hit for him since I think he's had Blindside and David and Goliath and several others. But The Tipping Point is a great read. And Gladwell explains in The Tipping Point what it is that makes something pop or makes something go viral. Where's the tipping point? And he tells some great stories. He really does tell some great stories in the book. And they're you know, out of the ordinary. It's like one of the ones I liked the most was the story of hush puppies. I'm not talking about the southern fried stuff you stick in your mouth. I want to know if there are any other fossils here who wore hush puppies back in the 1960s. You know what hush puppies were? They were shoes. I I, I love it. I had several out there who were honest enough to go. <laughs> Honestly, how many of you have never heard of hush puppies, the shoes, before? Wow wow, I'm old, <laughs> I, grew, I wore hush puppies, hush puppies were these shoes that were kind of, they had a kind of a suede finish on them, and they were all the rage for about six or seven years, they came out of nowhere, and they just popped, they just popped, and they were everywhere, everywhere everyone was, was um, wearing hush puppies, and there was a tipping point and what malcolm gladwell does in the book is he says all of these things had to happen for hush puppies to go from this obscure brand of shoe that nobody knew about without social media websites hadn't been dreamed up and those none of that think about it and it popped and it went viral and within a couple of years everybody knew what a hush puppy was and everybody were wearing them i wish i'd worn mine this morning for the illustration <laughs> And I only use the story to really borrow his theme. I've asked the question, what made the great men and women in the Bible, what made them truly great? What made them pop? What made their lives go viral? What was it that separated them from the pack? So I asked a lot of my friends in the ministry, I can remember the day I first asked the question, had a table of about nine sitting around there, and I said, no, seriously, I need you to work with me here for a moment. What made the greats truly great? And one by one, they started thinking about characters in the Bible, great characters in the scripture, and throwing out words. And I'm just, I'm taking these down. I had a number of them, but they added some texture and some flavor to the whole thing. They said, well, calling. I'd agree with that. Calling, if you're not calling, well, calling is one thing that, you know, kind of pushes you over the edge. How about faithfulness? Oh, yeah. This place couldn't operate without the faithfulness of God's people week in and week out. I saw your crew here early this morning getting ready to open up these doors and, and make it rattle and hum today. It, it takes the faithfulness of those people who are, are willing to be faithful. How about prayer? Prayer is definitely one of those tipping point elements. That the more you pour prayer into something, the more you'll find God direction in the midst of it. If you don't pray about it, you sometimes you're walking a little bit blind, but man, you guys are going to pray about Easter? Look, heaven's going to come down in that place because you're praying. You talk about the tipping point? It's coming on Tuesday night. Yes. It's coming on Tuesday night. Hey, there's a lot of times God gave me the message and preached the sermon to me on Tuesday that I preached on Sunday. It tipped over in me before I ever stood up in front of a congregation and delivered the word, and you guys are coming on Tuesdays, and you're going to be praying and that's the tipping point for Easter. How about obedience and surrender risk courage failure passion power all of these things come into play in our lives. I would add to that list one thing. Tipping points one thing and that's darkness darkness Walk with me. Something happens when we walk through the valley of the shadow that won't happen when we're just walking down the beach. Are you with me? Something happens when we're coming out of that place of darkness, when we're coming out of hardship. There is something that happens in that whole process that cannot happen in our lives any other way. Something significant, something beyond happens through, sometimes darkness. We find encouragement in our dark places this morning by first recognizing that it's necessity. There are seasons in life that we have to go through. There are dark places that are inescapable. No one gets away from it all. The preachers called this, in, in years past, the dark hours of the soul." Every one of us will experience those dark places, those challenged places, those places where we can't see him, hear him, or feel him. But as we walk with him, he's doing something in the midst of that darkness that we simply cannot get away from. I'm, a, I'm really a child of the 60s and 70s. And so I was around for the Jesus Rev. Can't wait to see the film Jesus Revolution because I kind of lived that. You say, well, you're not quite old enough to have lived through all of that. Well, understand, I grew up in far eastern Canada in the Maritime Provinces, and we were about five years behind whatever was happening in America. So everything came to us later. We didn't discover the Beatles until about 1970. I'm sorry, the Beatles. They were a rock and roll group. <laughs> you know, separately going, what, well, is he talking about roaches? What's the deal? I mean, I don't, I don't know. Singer songwriter Pam Thumb was a contemporary of mine, is a contemporary of mine. I was, a, I was a Jesus people guy running around with a drum set back in, in, in those days, going from place to place telling people about Jesus. And Pam was also. Years after, years after, I, I you know, I, I knew her for a short period of time past, past separated and years later I heard her singing on the radio when I heard her voice. I said, that's gotta be Pam Thumb and after the song the, the announcer said, you know, this was Pam Thumb with the song and I went back and I looked up the lyrics because the song touched me so deeply. She, sa- she sang these words, see if they don't speak to your life. Life is hard, the world is cold. We're barely young and then we're old. But every falling tear is always understood. Yes, life is hard, but God is good. Amen. Life is hard. See, this is a reality we would rather not face. We'd rather have somebody tell us it's all about, you know, butterfly kisses. We, 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 we want the sun to rise every morning, be bright and shiny, and, and we want to just re- reflect that. We, we don't really want to, I don't want to go through dark places. But we do and we will. Charles Spurgeon was probably the greatest preacher of his age. And he was a man who struggled mightily with depression. Depression that would roll on him so heavy at times that he was out of the pulpit for four, five, six weeks. Think about that. I mean, it was deep. It was deep. But in his letters to his students, he said to them, you have to understand that when when this darkness would descend upon me, I learned that in the midst of it all, God was about to open up a new chapter, a new season in my life beyond anything that I had seen or imagined before. He said, men owe the grandeur of their lives to their tremendous difficulties. We want to say amen, but we really don't want to say amen. I mean, how many of you right now saying, man, ministry of darkness, that's what I need. I've been serving the Lord now for more than 40 years, and I'm just going to tell you straight, it isn't easy, this life of faith. It isn't easy for anyone. You see, the great moments in life are just moments. They're not months. They're moments. Your greatest moments. They come and they go. Our our great seasons, you want to stretch it out and say, I'm having a great season, but seasons change. How about pinnacles? Our highest pinnacles are just that, but they're not plateaus. The highest pinnacles no one can live on. Everest is called the death zone. K2 is called the death zone. You reach a certain elevation somewhere around 22,000 feet, and your body cannot live if you stay too long. Nobody lives on the mountaintops. We live, we find life in the valleys. This is what I know also about climbing those big mountains. Those who will climb the mountains and arrive at the top of the pinnacle of of Everest, every one of them has to begin climbing in the dark. Two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning is when they begin their final ascent, in the dark. If they don't, they won't reach the top in time. And they'll freeze to death going up or they'll freeze to death coming down. But they have got to start in the dark so any pinnacle that you reach somewhere along the line you'll probably have passed through some darkness we only visit the heights life is in the valleys fruits in the valleys the bubbling streams are in the valleys nobody lives on the mountaintop i hear christians every once in a while suggest errantly suggest we just all we need to be living in a constant state of revival not sure, that word is, I, I think, pretty misunderstood. Hey, what's going on at Asbury right now is fabulous. I don't know whether it's revival, renewal, I have no idea. Whatever it is, God bless it, and just keep pouring it out and let it flow to every campus across the United yeah. States. I, I'm, I'm loving it. But when these moves come, we often say, well, that's... That's revival, and it may have the earmarks of revival, but if you'll stop and think about what revival is, what it really means, revival means a near-death-to-life transformation. So for you to experience revival, really, you got to be near-death. Renewal. I'm in for that because Paul says that the inward man is being renewed day by day. Second Corinthians chapter four. We're being renewed day by day. That renewal. I'm, and I don't know what's going on at Asbury. If it's if it's renewal, if it's re- I'm not going to try and parse all of that. I will tell you this: nobody lives in a constant state of revival. You know, I can't imagine. I just can't imagine anybody who's got more energy than your pastor. but he's got to come down sometimes, right? (laughs) Some of you are looking at me going, well, we've never seen that. Bad illustration, we'll move right on here. Just so we understand revival again and, and understand it maybe in a different context than you've looked at it before. It's a near death to life transformation. Imagine that you're over at Charlotte and you're gonna fly, so you're flying American, You're standing in line, and uh, the guy in front of you suddenly grabs his chest, falls over on the floor, turns blue. Everybody's in shock. You you shriek and you're a guy, and people around you you know people around you are, are panicked and they're looking around. Babies are crying and the and the the airlines uh, the airline people are immediately on phones and, and somebody shouts out, "Is there a doctor?" Is there? And so a few medical people step out from the shadows and come over and they get started. And the crash cart's coming down the, the concourse and and in the midst of it all, you hear them say, It's not breathing." Now you pray and then you hit your knees. And you're praying, oh God, this, this man is dying. He's dying right before my eyes. Lord, would you please work a miracle? And you're praying and, and they're working. They arrive at, and the, uh, those who had just volunteered step out of the way and the people who do this, all the, they stepped in and, and no pulse. He's not breathing. In this moment, we're we're at a moment of transition, an absolute crisis, and they pull they pull the uh, defibrillator off the off the cart, and they fire that thing up, and you hear it begin to hum, and they set it on the, the lowest setting, and you know strip the shirt open, and they, they work up the paddles, and uh, by the way, why don't they just think, why don't they just open that thing up wide open to begin with? Why do they have to start it? at 20 amps or whatever they give the guy. I'm for me, if it's ever me, don't let me don't let me lie there with brain cells dying while you're deciding, I mean crank it up all the way and let's go for broke. <laughs> Anyone else? <laughs> I don't want to know that they tried 7 selections before they finally found the song that my heart liked. I mean, you know, light me up well they hit him with the boom they hit him with the paddles and still no response so they turn it up and they hit him with the paddles again no response finally they crank it all the way up and they hit him with the paddles again and his body jolts right off the ground and and you hear someone say we have a pulse we have a pulse celebration begins to happen within the terminal before long, they say, yeah, yeah, I think we've got him. He's breathing. We've got a pulse. And lo and behold, even while they're, they're trying to get him ready to put him on the cart, lo and behold, in that moment, his eyes open. People go bananas. People go nuts. They put the guy on the gurney, and they're rolling him out. And, and he does what, of course, we all do, because we don't know what to do in moments of embarrassment like that. We go, <laughs> Kind of lift our hand and rolling him out, and now that guy has been revived. Let me ask one question: Do you think he ever wants to do that again? So we say we want to live in a constant state of revival. We have to understand that re- revive is that which was dying and is dead being brought back to life. We need to live in a place of renewal. We need to be constantly renewed, constantly renewed. I, the, one, of my, one of the subjects that I, I worked on when I was in a, a master's program was the great revivals uh, across America. I, I singled out four of them, and my point of investigation is what happened to the host churches that experienced these revivals. Three of them ceased to exist altogether. The fourth is still limping along But these great revivals generally burn out the host. And I'm not saying that's good or God is going to do what he's going to do. And I say, hallelujah, pour out your spirit, however you're going to to pour it out, Lord. But it really brings us back to the point. You don't live on the pinnacle. Nothing can live on the pinnacle. Nothing can. We've got to come down off of that and learn to live in the valleys. And sometimes in the valleys, we've got to learn how to walk and live and breathe and trust in the dark. My dad got me to read the Old English Masters. Just after I got saved, he gave me a few books and then began to collect from his library any duplicates he could find of his best, and he, he gave those to me. And so I started off reading uh, a lot of the great preaching masters from the turn of the century. Not this turn, the, the one before. And so I'm reading, I'm, I'm that guy. And so I'm, I'm reading um, these, these great masters. One was a guy named J. Stuart Holden. He really, his best was between 1913, 1924. I think 24 different volumes of his sermons were put out in England. He was a, he was a brilliant communicator in his day, a brilliant speaker. Uh, the way that he structured and used language, it was absolutely amazing. But he put out a little volume. It's become my favorite. It's called The Unlikely Ministries of God. It's a very small book. It's about that thick. It has four of his messages Four of his messages that were reproduced, put in this book, and sent out. The unlikely ministries of God. Now, you have to understand that he preached these four messages in 1915 while the First World War was ravaging Europe. And if you know your history at all, the First World War did more to destroy faith in Europe than any other conflict. It was incredibly brutal. It was shocking beyond beyond the understanding of men. I mean, it, it was a horrible, horrible, they're all horrible, but it, it was on another level. What it did to faith in Europe, some, some believe that Europe has yet to recover from the blow that they felt when all of a sudden the lights went out and everything went dark and it seemed as though evil would triumph. Holden wrote this book, The Unlikely Ministries of God, in the midst or against the the backdrop of that. And in all of it, he said, God is on the field when he is most invisible. God's on the field when he's most invisible. You see, in the book, he talked about first the ministry of contradiction. We won't go there today. The ministry of withdrawal, not gonna go there. He talked about the ministry of delay. Uh, That would be a great message. That's coming another day maybe. But the ministry of darkness, that God works through the darkness. See, God is not the source of darkness, God is light, in him there is no darkness, but God is not diminished nor threatened nor thwarted by darkness. He doesn't abandon the night to fallen angels. He sees in the dark, he speaks in the dark, he moves in the dark, he works in the dark, and he paints in the dark. He's creating beauty in the dark. Beauty for ashes, the scripture says. He's doing things that you cannot even begin to understand and you can't even see him doing it. This is the God that we serve. Amen. He's working always in the dark, working all things together for our good. A.W. Tozer said that he doubted that God could use a man greatly until he had hurt him deeply. I've always found that statement to be deeply disturbing. How many of you want to really be used of God greatly? Well, I do. How many of you want to be hurt deeply? Well, can't imagine that one is necessary for the other. I think when we look to the Scripture, though, we find evidence that more often than not, those who achieve the highest level are those who have been brought through the darkness and found God first there. Yes. Men and women of Scripture, I begin to look for men and women in the Scripture whose whose life journey led them through some very dark and very deep valleys. You'll recognize some of them, the band already blew the sermon for me because they sang about most of them. We did the God of Jacob and we did the God of Moses and I'm thinking, man, there's two points down. They were clicking them off one right after the other. I love that song. But it almost ruined the message for me. Let's talk about Joseph. Let's talk about Joseph. He was Jacob's favorite son, coat of many colors, sold into human trafficking by his brothers. That's a little dark. He was falsely accused. He arrives in Egypt. He does what is right in the midst of everything. A woman has, the cougar has designs on him. (laughs) Cougars in the Bible. (laughs) Come on, read the story. You're looking at me like you haven't, didn't you know? It's all right there. Man, she grabbed his robe, pulled his clothes off. It's quite the story. He didn't do anything wrong, he ends up being jailed for it. And in an Egyptian jail, this, the son who had been so highly favored uh, by his father. He could have simply looked at the heaven and said, God, if you are God and if you are really there, you are unfair, you are a bust, and I'm not trusting in you. Forgotten in an Egyptian jail, that's pretty dark. How about Job? (laughs) Blessed and righteous, then struck with unthinkable love. How many of you do not want God speaking to the devil about you? Because there's this conversation between God and and the devil. Have you considered my servant Job? And I'm saying, forget my name. (laughs) You know, have you considered my friend Tyson? (laughs) But I'm not. (laughs) My buddy Tyson can handle it. I'm not sure I'm ready for that. Have you considered my servant Job? And he's struck with unthinkable loss and unimaginable darkness. And in the midst of it all, his partner, Mrs. Job, says, Curse God and die. I mean, my wife has had to say some hard things to me before, but never anything close to that. How about Moses, born to deliver? born delivered i mean the the baby in the bulrushes story. he's born delivered born to deliver he's positioned for the palace but he he jumped he jumped the gun he did god's will his way and he ends up a fugitive and he runs all the way out into the wilderness he's in the midianite wilderness and there he goes to work for the man who will eventually become his father-in-law how many of you know men don't grow up with this dream someday i want to work for my wife's daddy And Moses is 80 years old and, and life is passing him by, born to deliver. That's a dark, dark place where God finds him. How about Hannah, mother of Samuel? Ultra-devout and prayerful, so distraught and distracted by her barrenness, praying before God, weeping before God. Her pastor, Eli, looks over, sees her at the altar and says, he's drunk Talk about lacking a little bit of discernment. <laughs> She's drunk. She brings her husband to the point of despair. Do you remember her story? And Elkanah, her husband, the poor guy, the poor guy, he says, am I not worth more than 10 sons to you? Remember that? Dumbest thing a man ever said to a woman. <laughs> am I not worth more than, than 10 sons? Well, uh, no. No. <laughs> You with me? That's a dark place. How about Elijah, the prophet of great power? Calls down fire, calls down rain. James Taylor took the theme and ran with it. Then he's threatened by Jezebel after he's run in front of Ahab's chariot all the way to the gates of Jezreel, slain 400 prophets of Baal. He has had the most incredible Sunday any pastor ever has had, the biggest ever. And after that, a threat from Jezebel sends him off to the wilderness where he lays down under a broom tree and says, it's enough, I'm done, I'm no better than my fathers, take my life. Suicidal, that's darkness. How about David? David? Poet, warrior, handsome, married to a princess. Disney story coming. <laughs> Loved by the people. Loved by Saul until something clicks. And David is suddenly the enemy of Saul and he loses everything and he's hunted like a fugitive and he's living like an animal in caves. That's darkness. Darkness. We turn to the New Testament and we find Peter, who was the first among the the disciples, he's the, and, and by first, I mean he he was the leader. He's confident and he's bold and he's brave, yet in the courtyard, when I mean, when it's really time to stand up in the courtyard, he completely breaks down, he lies, he disowns, and he curses and sees Jesus look at him. Talk about an image that would be burned into your brain. Jesus looks at him when he says, I don't even know the man. He doesn't just fail. He fails spectacularly. That's darkness. How about Paul? Paul is this religious zealot. He's devout. He's a rising Pharisee. We see because of the way we preach. We preach all the bad things about Pharisees. But really, the Pharisees were a pretty incredible group of people. They were incredibly devout. They held firmly to the law. And although they got out of line and out of balance in many ways, I mean, they were the soul of Israel. And Paul was a Pharisee's Pharisee and a man of action. And he knew his path and he knew his mission in life. And he was serving the eldership of Israel. And he did all that he did for the glory and for the cause of God. He was convinced in his heart. But then on the Damascus Road, he realized, in an instant he realized, I had it all wrong. When a voice says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Everything goes up in the air. If you ever had something come in life that just tipped your wagon over and everything fell out? That's Paul on the Damascus Road. And then as Paul's beginning to understand now his theological education he's beginning to put it into a spiritual reality and as he puts those things together he's trying to figure out what life is all about And in the midst of it all the jews want to kill him because they see him now as a traitor and the christians don't trust him and won't embrace him in their inner circles in jerusalem so three years he's in arabia Three forgotten years. What's going on? I'm telling you, friends, it's darkness. When you're a man of action, when you've been called, when you've done all that you think is absolutely right, and everything that has returned to you has been absolutely wrong, you reach a point where you're just trying to figure it out and live day to day. It's darkness. How about John? a faithful lover of christ apostle extraordinaire but dislodged from his ministry captured and tortured exiled to patmos living in a cave that's darkness but of course we have to speak also of jesus who is sent by the father from the glory of heaven to this earth he is baptized in the jordan he is approved by a voice from heaven the spirit descends on him like a dove and then immediately he is led by the spirit the scripture says into the wilderness to be tested tempted by the devil for 40 days 40 days that's darkness all of these great men and women knew what it was to trust the god who paints in the dark to trust the God who it seems at times may be silent, quiet. It may seem that he's not there, that he does not see, that he does not care. All of those are lies. We need the truth of God's word that will teach us in those moments when our emotions will take us down all of the wrong roads. That's why we need faith and we need the facts of the scripture because our feelings will rule and reign. See, we get it all wrong. We've got to let the facts, the Word of God, lead us, and our feelings have got to trail along behind. Faith has got to link them. But we follow our feelings, put our faith in our feelings, and we lose track of the facts. We got to get this train put together in the right order. We begin with the declaration of God in the word. We place our faith in that declaration of the word and our feelings will just follow along like the caboose. You cannot allow your feelings to lead you. They'll lead you to destruction every time. All of these people went through dark places to learn to trust in God in the midst. Now, look what God did afterwards look at the significance of their ministry coming out of the dark we talked about joseph he comes out of the darkness of the egyptian jail he rises up to deliver his not only his immediate family who comes to egypt also but he delivers the peoples of the world through egypt in a time of severe famine god raises him up to be a deliverer out of the darkness How about Job? He comes through the fire to a greater blessing than he'd ever known before. I don't know how God blessed Job to a higher degree than he had been blessed before, but the scripture says he did. Imagine. If you think, by the way, if you think it can't get any better, it just can't get any better, it can. It can. It did for Job. How about Moses? He comes out of the wilderness to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt to the very gate of the promised land. How about Hannah who through a veil of tears gives birth to a baby boy who will be both prophet and priest and anoint Israel's first kings and especially anoint David who will establish a throne. How about Elijah who rises above his suicidal thoughts, scales up Horeb's rocky heights, there he hears a still small voice that brings restoration to his soul and he goes forth from that place and he anoints a whole new generation of prophets and kings it's all there in the scripture for you how about david who comes out of the caves to unite the broken house of israel to establish a throne that will forever remain it will be the throne of messiah he will rule and reign forever and ever and david came out of that dark dark place how about peter gets up off the mat to preach on the day of Pentecost. And Paul comes out of obscurity to launch worldwide missions efforts. Or John in exile is given a revelation of Jesus Christ beyond anything any man has ever received before. And how about Jesus who comes out of the wilderness in the power of the spirit all the way to the cross in the midst of all of that darkness to redeem a lost and a broken creation. He does that for you and for me out of the darkness darkest place David said darkness is as light to you an ancient cardinal once said 10,000 difficulties do not make one doubt God is working all things together even when it seems everything's coming apart he paints in the dark he paints in the dark I started with this imaginary story that you opened the door And I'm wondering if somebody needs to do that today. You're in a dark, dark place, and you need to open the door and invite him to come in and go to work. You've tried to find your best you with the help of everything the world has to offer and everything you see after the world's done with you just after a short season. Everything you see is the worst of you. You really want to find your best you. You really want to find the fullness of your potential. You really want to find life, life that works, life that makes sense, life that gives you joy. You really want to see that. You really want to experience. Well, you've got to invite him in. You've got to say, Jesus, would you please step into the living room of my life? I'm stepping back. I'm laying down, as a matter of fact. I'm going to surrender. It may seem even that I'm going to sleep here for a moment. I'm taking myself out of the, the, I'm just taking myself out of the picture, and I'm asking you, would you please take my life, and as only you can do from your palette, would you begin to paint my life, even as I'm walking through darkness, paint my life and make me all that I can be for you that I may walk as a person of purpose and destiny in this life. Have you ever invited him to come in? We're all sinners. We all desperately need the remedy that only Jesus can bring. God chose to send his son to us to take on our humanity, to live with us, to experience everything that we could experience in life. And then in the motif of the Old Testament sacrifices, he offers himself up as a sacrificial lamb, saying, I will die for their sin. And when you look at them, don't see their sin. See my sacrifice. And the Father says, I'll do that. And he'll do that for you. He'll do, that. He'll do that for you. You say, it seems too easy. This, it seems cheap. It seems quick. I just pray a prayer and, and he does this for me. You have to understand it's the most costly thing. It's the most costly thing that God has done in giving up his only son. It's not cheap grace. It's costly grace. But it is grace. And it's there for you. For the taking. Where are you? Are you there? Are you, are you? Do you hear him standing at the? Behold, he says, "I stand at the door and I knock. If any man will open the door, I'll come in and sup with him." Are you there? Are you ready? Maybe you've come to this service this morning, and you need to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of your life. And I want to pray with you and for you and there's a prayer team here that are ready to pray with you and for you so you're not alone in all of this. But if you need this morning Jesus to step into your life as so many of these have testified and we've looked at the scripture of what happens when God works in our... If you're willing to just invite him into that dark place, he loves to start there and he'll change your life. If that's you... Would you just stand? Say, that's me. I, I need Jesus. God bless you. God knows you and He sees you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Is there is there someone else? Someone else? You say, I'm I'm there, I'm in that dark place. I really need him. I really need him right now. Is there someone else? Just stand. Just stand. I want everyone in the room to join me in this prayer right now. Father, for this dear sister now who's coming to know you as Savior and Lord as you step into her life to forgive her sins and cleanse her. Lord, as she's experiencing this right now, we pray for her life. We pray for her loved ones. We pray for her work. We pray for everything that touches her that there would be now a divine conspiracy (laughs) carried out in heaven to make all things work together for good so that she might know the fullness of your purpose when you created her in her mother's womb. We ask it in Jesus' name.
0: Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, click that subscribe button, share this podcast on social, or even take a screenshot from your story and tag us. We'd love to hear how the Lord is using this podcast to bless your life. You can send an email to info at visionchurch.com or you can DM us on social with a story of how God is moving in your world. Also, we'd like to thank those who invest in our ministry financially. It's because of your sacrifice that we are able to publish this every week. If you would like to join in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in the description or visit visionchurch.com and click the Give tab. Thanks again for listening. God bless.